Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we've spent a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Everybody, welcome to Episode 6, Values and Practices for Being Safe with Each Other. And I think this is such an important topic that I want to bring it back to um, that extraordinary conversation that you laid out that Grace Church had, Mm -hmm. where there was such honesty, Mm -hmm. tears, where people owned things and named pain, Mm -hmm. real, Mm -hmm. real, real, real pain. How does a team get to that place where that's even Mm -hmm. possible? Well, this brings us to the other category of values and practices, because I do think there are two distinct categories. We have the values and practices that help us open to God together. So that's kind of a vertical thing. We're together, but we're opening to God. But these practices, the second category is the values and practices that make us safe with each other. And the truth is that many of us haven't had very many experiences of being in safe relationships where these kinds of conversations that can take place. And I know sometimes We want to think that just because we're all Christians, that it's going to make us safe with each other. But the truth is, most of us have experienced pains within the church and within Christian communities. So we need to be really intentional about establishing values and practices that are going to help us to be safe with each other and that are going to make it safe for us to bring our experiences of what we're hearing with God and what we're experiencing with consolation and desolation. You can't just share that with anybody. You share those those very private things with people that you can trust because you've cultivated a safe a safe place. So, again, we're going to look at some practice or some values, some things we say we value, but it doesn't do any good to just say you value them if you don't have a concrete practice to go with it. So, um I think we need to think about what we're trying to achieve, and what we're trying to achieve is to become a group that can be soul to soul with each other, that can speak honest things from the soul, trusting that God's going to you know, want to be at work within a group like that. So I think we have to think about, first of all, practicing transformation with each other, you know, not just opening to God through prayer, but now how am I going to enter into transformation with you as a person that I'm leading with? And so I mentioned not just an individual being committed to a rule of life for their own individual sake, but being committed to a rule of life for the sake of the leadership role that you have to say, I will bring my transforming self to leadership if I continue to function within my own sacred rhythms, to see it not only as a commitment to yourself with God, but also a commitment to this leadership group and your commitment to bring your transforming self to this group. Um, Your commitment to a rule of life is a part of what you're committing to with the group. And there should even be moments um, that are carved out for talking to one another about our rule of life. How's it going for you? How, what's God saying to you in the context of your solitude and silence these days? Um, what's God speaking to you about through scripture these days? And to even have intentional conversations about our rule of life and how God is meeting us in that. So practicing spiritual transformation together through having a rule of life and also through creating some spaces for talking about how God is with us and how God has been speaking to us in the context of our rhythms. That would be one commitment we could make to each other. Another value that is important, and it seems obvious, but I'm not sure we do it very well, is to practice the value of love. Mm. I think, again, we enter into leadership environments probably with, with a pretty pragmatic approach to our relationships that kind of task-oriented, like you are a, a cog in the wheel of this yep. thing that we're doing. 
but I don't necessarily know how to love you and I don't that's not front and center when I'm with you it's more that I'm just almost using you to get the job done around here yeah so thinking about actually engaging a leadership community with love at the forefront of your mind what does it look like for us to love each other now that would be a conversation at a leadership board level what is it going to look like for us to love each other to be committed to loving one another the way the scriptures tell us to love I don't know a lot of leadership groups who really dig down into that question very much. So what would a concrete practice look like around that value? Um, Well, one of the practices that we've associated with love is kindness. Mm. There's a commitment to actually be as kind to one another as we can. And, you know, kindness is one of the virtues named in the scriptures, but oftentimes we are unkind to each other in the church. And a little bit, and sometimes a little bit too task oriented with each other. And so human kindness will slow us down for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, kindness could have to do with doing something for someone that you know they would uniquely love to have happen to them. You know, um, kindness is being patient, you know, when someone is moving slow, more slowly than I would like to move, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I and I move fast. People who know me and work with me know that I talk fast and I move fast and I expect people to get it really quick. And I, you know, I can be impatient. And so kindness for me is to be more patient with people whose minds aren't moving as fast as mine yep. are moving, whose yep. words don't come to them as easily as my words come to me, um, who may, maybe cannot keep up with the pace that I'm able to keep up with. Wow, a way that I love them is by being more patient. So here's another kindness. So um, you know, because you've been in community with us, that one of our dear brothers, David Streif, was our liturgist for a number of years before he passed away um, several months ago. And so being our liturgist meant that he worked very carefully with me and the prayers that I would write and the scriptures that I would choose and things like that. And he was a J on the Myers-Briggs, and I'm a P on the Myers-Briggs. So I would oftentimes not get him the scriptures until right before the service, which as a P felt really good to me, but as mm-hmm. a J, he was just hanging out there on the edge of his seat all the time, wishing that he would get scriptures ahead of time. And so I realized that one of the things I could do for him that would be really loving would be to get him the scriptures before the retreats. So I didn't do that for me because right. it doesn't matter to me, but I did it for him because I wanted to be more loving for him. And he received it as love too, like his whole face would light up when I would give him the list of scriptures before the retreat. He literally thought he had died and gone to heaven, you know? So, and it pleased me to no end. And I needed that motivation to show love, to be more loving to him and his personality type rather than just being my personality type was a really concrete way of loving him and love that my desire to be a loving person motivated me to even change my personality style a little bit. And in that way, it was life giving to both of us. Um, our worship leader, um, one of the running jokes that we have is that he's always there early and I always scream in right at the last minute <laughs> or late. Again, it's the P on the Myers Briggs. I just, I don't know what it is. So I've realized that one of the ways I can love Rory is by being on time or early, you know, because sometimes he'll be doing a prelude or something like that. And if I get there early, it means I get to hear it rather than miss it. And so that's a concrete way of being loving to someone in my community, you know, and I find that very motivating. I find it quite exciting that I can. Um, 
love people in these concrete ways. And I find myself to be becoming a better person out of my commitment mm. to love these people that I work with day in and day out that have to tolerate, you know, all the idiosyncrasies of my particular personality, you know? <laughs> and maybe there's some ways that they are kind to you. There are. And so you know? it, going back to David Streif, he saw it as his call to transformation to let go of his Janus and to be willing to receive the scriptures when they came. So both of us were yep. very aware that we were seeking to be transformed in relation to each other and that we were seeking to allow ourselves to even be stretched towards a different personality pattern in the way that made us both better people. Great mm-hmm. examples. Yeah. Those are such good examples of con- mm-hmm. cuz we say love yeah. each other, it's one of our highest aspirations, but to bring it down to mm-hmm. that level of concreteness yeah. is right. really helpful. Really helpful. So, uh, what what fears have you seen rise up in yourself and other team members as we really start moving towards soul to soul relationships? Mm-hmm. Well, they take more effort for one thing. I mean, what we're talking about here. I mean, that is that is bring some real bring some real effort, intentionality, some focused energy towards cultivating relationships at a different level than what we typically think of. So we need to be, we, we, we have to have some energy for this. We have to be living in rhythms of work and rest that enable us to bring our best energy to the people that we say we care about and that God has given us to be in community with. Um, there's also a vulnerability too when you choose when you choose to love one another and when you choose to be committed to one another. And that's another practice that I believe is significant in community is that we're committed to stable, to stability in our relationships, that we're not just going to be here while this feels good and then I'm going to leave when I don't like this anymore. In one of the practices that we maintain in the Transforming Center in general is a commitment to stability in our relationships and that we're not going to leave each other unless we discern it together, which gives us all a sense of real safety here, that no one's going to leave here out of anger or whatever. We've made a commitment to each other to discern it together. So there's a a sense of stability that we're practicing in our relationships. So, you know, we live in a very transient society that doesn't want this kind of accountability. We want to be free and easy. We want to leave whenever we want to leave. If, if you know, if that group down there is doing something more interesting, I'm just going to go there. If they're going to pay me more over there, then maybe I'm just going to leave this job and go to another one. But that doesn't, that is not the, the ground in which good relationships grow. Human relationships grow best in a stable environment. And so stability is a practice that we practice, but that's asking a lot yeah. of, of me and of you, uh, you know? So I think the fear of what this is going to require of me, it, it could be a real fear. And then also the fear of vulnerability. Um, loving, as we've said already, actually puts you in a more vulnerable relationship with people than if you're just seeing them as a cog in the wheel of your plans. So if, if I open my heart and actually commit myself to love people, that's a more vulnerable position than just using you to get a job done, right. you know, which oftentimes we do when we're doing, you know, when we're doing leadership together. As you've already mentioned, um, our, I think we've mentioned it here, that, that another practice that we're committed to is to discerning together. Yeah. And what that means is I'm giving up a little bit of my independence. If I have committed to you that, that I'm not going to make a major move until we've discerned it together, then I'm giving up some of my independence, which feels good and not so good, depending on where we're at um, in our development and in our formation. That is so true. And when we commit to discerning together, even when we've been on the journey for a while, sometimes the fierce independence kicks in and yeah, takes over. It does. And that is reality for me, (laughs) 
you and I were in a community together and we were moving toward discernment Mm -hmm. and we had made some commitments to each other. And then I made the decision to leave the community. And after that was all said and done and public, you called me and asked, hey, why didn't we pursue that decision together? And it was very gentle. You were amazing. It was truth telling. Um, But I immediately, like my shoulders went down and I realized, oh, I didn't even think of calling you. Uh, why is that? And I think some of it was we, um, we got into a mode where that fierce independence just took over. Mm -hmm. It took over the covenant. It took over the agreement, took over the relationship. And so there's that, but there was also a fear, I think in me anyway, I can name it for me that, it would muddy the waters by bringing your wise <laughs> opinion in. And maybe we would have to do something that we didn't want to do. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have offered an opinion. I would have just asked some questions because yeah. I typically don't, you yeah. know, but I do think there are really good questions that can be asked that sometimes we miss out on when we don't open it up to our full discernment community, you know, the people that God has given us to walk with us in life. So one of the things that I watch for in myself and in others is is this question of who are you not discerning with? Who are you leaving outside your discernment process and why? Because when people are moving through discernment, but they fail to open it up to those who've been walking with them closely to their spiritual community, you have to ask the question, what am I afraid of? What am I trying to avoid by not opening it up to members of my community that I usually would respect and want, you know, want to have them be a part of it? So that can be a very purifying question to ask, you know, and get us in touch with what's really going on. So what is really going on there? There is so much in there. And let's let's contextualize this for a minute and say we live in a culture of independent people. I mean, yeah. we are Americans after all, and we are the rugged individualists. We are the lone rangers. That is so deep in our, the individualism is so deep in our culture. And it's not the same in other cultures. People in African cultures or Indian cultures, they don't even know themselves outside of the community. You know, like they're defined by being in community. We are not that way in America. So this rugged individualism is just in us and we don't even know it. And I do believe that that's that's part of what's functioning at all times among any of us who have been uh, shaped by this culture, is that we feel like this is my life, this is my decision, I have the right to make it by myself. So corporate discernment or together discernment, communal discernment, runs so counter to life in our culture right now that it's no wonder we don't think of it. So I think that's part of it. And I don't don't want us to minimize that by not even mentioning it. Um, secondly, I do think it does run against some of the more independent personalities as well. And um, so I think there's that there's that in it as well. And the commitment to discernment actually disciplines that aspect of personality. Mm-hmm. And then I think you're also right to name fear that if I and, and, and a loss of control, when I open it up to other people and I'm in, in a committed discerning situation, then I am not the one fully controlling the outcome of my life. Now I've opened that up to other people. And that feels very disconcerting as well. And and sometimes when we've already decided what we want, mm-hmm. then we don't want anybody to come in and mess it up. And so yeah. discernment feels like, you know, somebody's going to come in and mess up what I already know I want because I'm not really as open as I want people to think I am. I'm not yeah. opening this up to my full discernment community because I want to, I already know what I want. I already have the outcome in mind and I don't want anybody to mess it up. 
So those are all parts of the experience that we all have. And I think reasons why we're afraid yeah. to commit ourselves to discerning communities. And, and, I, and I'm also not saying that we let anybody into that place. Right. I mean, we let people into the discernment space who we can trust and um, who have been with us and have proven themselves to be valuable to us in that regard. I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. um, a discerning community, that's why values mm -hmm. are so important. We've right. talked about listening out mm -hmm. the values of truth telling and yeah. um, and kindness and loving each other. And if you haven't done some of those, mm -hmm. then yeah, like then we're not in a we're not in a space of mutual discernment. Right. But if right. we have, and we're still being independent. Mm -hmm. Then I think, well, it forced me to look at some of my fears, and mm -hmm. and and it was a powerful lesson that I think I really learned, mm -hmm. and I learned it the hard way in a way that cost you and me and others. Um, but I'm a human being. We're <laughs> all learning this. I'm learning. That's exactly right. And sometimes the things that we know the best and that know the strongest are the places where we did it a different way at another time, and we really learned. And now it's so in us. It's so deeply in us that we want to practice this particular value in a certain way like discernment because now we know how important and yeah. how valuable it can be. I want to get to, you write a lot about uh, writing a covenant mm -hmm. and the importance of that. So we're going to get to that. Mm -hmm. but, but before we do, um, you practice truth-telling with me in that phone call. Mm -hmm. And some of us, that comes pretty easy and we can be a little too harsh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For some of us, it comes really hard yeah. and we can end up not saying anything mm -hmm. or saying something so soft and muddled that, that nobody gets the nobody point. Gets yeah. it. So mm -hmm. can, you, can you talk through a little bit how to be a truth-teller in a way that actually is helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, to stay grounded in love. I mean, if you're yeah. not touching your love, then don't say it. Right. You know, if you right. can't touch the place in your heart that loves that person, do not until yeah. you can, yeah. because it's going to come out in a way that's going to be harmful. Um, I think hum humility as you approach, like like in the case with you, um, I wasn't upset or angry or anything, but I was curious yeah. because you know. All of us in that situation had cultivated an, an environment of discernment around everything that we were doing together, and all and everyone in that setting knew that I loved them and that I was committed to the, to the well-being of everyone involved. Um, and yet, to come to come into that with some sort of humility and to say, maybe there's something that I did that made mm. me s someone who was not approachable. Mm. I, I'm I'm curious. I'm mm -hmm. wondering. Mm -hmm. But maybe I'm missing something. You know, sure. maybe there was something that I've done that makes me not a safe person for mm. you. Or maybe I misunderstood the commitment that we had mm. to discernment. Maybe there's some misunderstanding here. To stay humble in, in what we are saying to the other person as well. And then to make I statement, to believe the best, mm -hmm. you know, if we can. Um, and to make I statements. This is how this affected me. I'm sure you didn't mean this. Yeah. But... I'm sure you didn't mean this to hurt, but I have to say this is how this affected me. And then, you know, those are all ways of being clear, but also being gracious. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I sometimes say to people when I have this kind of conversation, mm -hmm. depending on their personality mm -hmm. after the conversation, you know, when the conversation is sort of over and we've said it and mm -hmm. we've heard it, 
I say, now you may come up with something that you wanted to say. Yes, absolutely. But you just didn't have the That's words right. for it. Mm-hmm. So please feel free. Always feel free to come back. To come back. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's an important yeah. thing. So let's talk about covenant making. I think covenant's a scary word for a mm-hmm. lot of us. It's it a trigger word yeah. for some of us. So can you give us a foundational understanding of what a covenant even is? Yeah. Well, I again, I think sometimes we think that because we're Christians and because we all read the same Bible and pray yeah. and yeah. you know all that that somehow it means that we know how to do our relationships and that we all agree on how to do our relationships so people could be saying at this point well man if you've had those conversations and you've got practices in place do you really think you need a covenant i mean we're all christian people after all well the truth is we all know good christian people who have left their churches in a huff you know people who cannot endure a, uh, you know a real telling of the truth um anger yeah. you know christian people who have so much anger in them that, that they lash out and you, you, it's as bad as whatever you'd see in a secular environment. So, no, I don't think Christians all know how to treat each other and how to love each other well and how to tell the truth and how to do conflict transformation. No, I don't think we all know how to do that. Yeah. So a covenant actually makes real what it is that we say about how we want to live together. And a covenant is a commitment that we make to God. Remember that. It's a, it's not a commitment I make to you as much as it's a, it's a commitment I make to God relative to how I'm going to treat you. Mm-hmm. And uh, a covenant is part of what God does out of God's nature. Um, when we make covenants with one another, um, we are actually acting like God because mm. God does all of God's human relationships within a covenant. And in fact, from Abraham all the way to the present moment, God has done significant relationships in covenant. So we now are living in the new covenant of Jesus' blood. Right now we are living in, in a covenant that God has made to us. So... Um, I just think it's a beautiful thing for us as Christians to see covenant making and covenant keeping as a spiritual practice that creates space for God to do God's transforming work. So when I make a covenant with God about how I'm going to treat you or a covenant with God about how I'm going to participate in the life of this group, um, even at times when everything in me wants to scream and run out the door, my covenant keeps me here. Yeah. So we guide people through a covenant making practice when they begin their transforming community experience. And I can't tell you how many times, either in our little staff community or board community here or in the communities that we lead, how often someone has come to me and said, I'm coming to you because of our covenant. Hmm. I'm speaking to you about this because in our covenant I said I would. Wow. Otherwise, I wouldn't choose to do it. Yeah. I'm like, well, good for you. Yeah. You're living it out. And that yeah. is that creates space for God to do something among us and between us that he might not have had a, had a space to do otherwise. So um, I just get really excited about the practice of covenant making and covenant keeping because it does create so much space for God. And if you think about it, you know, every human relationship that we value, um, that it, that has its vulnerability to it, like the marriage relationship, which is puts people in a very vulnerable position with each other, or the doctor-patient relationship, which puts patients in a vulnerable yeah. position with their doctors. Um, even in certain dating relationships, you know, we get to a point where we want to date exclusively and we mm-hmm. make a covenant or a promise that mm-hmm. we're only dating one another. Why do we do that? Mm. Well, we do that because we know that certain human relationships put us into such a vulnerable position that there needs to be some protection. Yeah. Even the the vows that a pa- ordination vows that a pastor takes relative mm-hmm. to being a pastor, that's a, the pastor p- parishioner role it has vulnerability in it. And there's a power imbalance, and so um, the willingness to protect the vulnerability with some sort of a commitment mm. actually protects a relationship that's so precious and so valuable that we want it to be preserved. Yeah, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. 
So let's say a community of people has mm-hmm. walked through all the steps that you've mm-hmm. listed up until now, all the movements, and now it's really time to, to write a covenant together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How would that look like? What kind of process would they go through as, yeah. a, as a community? Yeah, I, ha- I actually outline the process in detail in the book. But, you know, first of all, there's going to be a process of really needing to go through your values. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the values that we want, that we believe will undergird us as a spiritual community? What are the practices that we want to have in place in order to help us to live our values in concrete ways? Um, and then you you go ahead and, you know, you might even want to note some key scripture references if there's scripture that informs those values. And then somebody starts to write them down on paper as best you can. And then, you, you you know, once you've done the best you can, you shoot them around to the group and see what else, you know, people might have or whether or not the wording actually captures the spirit of the conversations that you've been having. Um, you make those adjustments and then you get some sort of a final version. And you don't call it complete because we uh. continue to work on our values and our practices and how we articulate them and how we live them. Yeah. Um, and we add things. So one of the, a later addition was this practice of conflict transformation because we realized after one thing that went really, really badly that um, even though we were all Christians, we didn't really all agree on what it means to live Matthew 18. Yeah. You know, like everybody <laughs> says, we believe in a Matthew 18 yeah. process. Well, you know what? You better talk about that in yeah. a little bit more of a concrete. What, is it, what does that mean? And for us, to see conflict as an opportunity for further transformation is really, really important because it means that we're not going to run from conflict. It means that when we get together to deal with a conflict, we're going to do it in such a way that we know we're opening to Jesus' presence because Jesus has special promises for moments like this. He says where two or three are gathered, not in worship, not in a Bible study, but where two or three are gathered to deal with a conflict. I want to be with them in a special way. So we trust that Jesus is going to be there. And so we enter into conflict with a hope for transformation and not just management or resolution. So to to be concrete, this is what we will do when a conflict happens between us. You'll go to the person directly first. You know, you'll enter into a time of self-examination. If that doesn't work, then maybe you bring someone else in. But, you know, like you really, really have a concrete plan for those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. And then... um, I suggest getting it articulated and written down. Everyone gets verbal agreement, and then that there be some sort of ritual action that you take in order to ratify it. You know, the word ratify means to make real. Mm. So it could be, um, you know, in the transforming communities, people actually sign it and bring it to the altar at our covenant signing mm. um, prayer service. In our board com- context, we will often at, at a at a final prayer service once a year we'll we'll re ratify it. We'll actually create a space for a conversation about our covenant. How are we doing at living our covenant? That gives us a chance to keep things open and clear between us. Is there anything else we want to add or nuance in our covenant mm-hmm. um, before we re up? And then if we're ready to re up, then there's a moment for that in a prayer service. And oftentimes we've placed a stone on the altar as a statement mm-hmm. of our commitment. But to have a way to ratify it. So there's the content of the covenant, and then there's the symbol that ratifies it, the symbolic action that actually makes it real. Mm-hmm. And we do this every year so so that um, we are always keeping this commitment in front of us. Wow. It seems like a lot of work. It is. On the you other, are right yeah, to observe yeah. that. <laughs> on the other hand, mm-hmm. if you don't do it, yeah, it creates a lot absolutely. of work too. Because now you're yeah. going to be stepping mm-hmm. on each other's toes yeah. and conflict is going to happen. You don't have a real yeah. clear process for how to... And you might not even make it. Yeah. You might not even make it. People yeah. might right. leave and then you've, then you've ruined everything. So yeah. I like to think about the children of Israel and how, how God, through Moses 
had a covenant with those people. And I look back on their story and I think, you know, they wouldn't have made it through their wilderness experience without the Ten Commandments. Yeah. With, without the clarity of those covenant commitments, I think they would have all died in the wilderness. Yeah. And so really the danger of not having covenant means that um, the whole thing could fall apart and you mm-hmm. don't even get to your promised land. So, And I think one of the powers of the covenant, too, is... Now it's not just me and my opinion coming mm-hmm. to you because you maybe treated someone poorly. Mm-hmm. I think you treated someone poorly. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. hey, we have a we have actually yeah, talked right. about mm-hmm. this. We've we've yeah. talked about how we're going to treat mm-hmm. each other. This and, didn't feel like that, and this didn't yeah. feel like that. So can we? I'm I'm curious about mm-hmm. that. Can we talk yeah. about that? Okay, now Ruth. In the next episode, I'm excited because we're going to talk about the actual practice of corporate discernment. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, do you have a prayer that you would like to leave us with? Yes, I do. Here's a prayer that we can use as part of our commitment to one another. We can use it as a part of our covenant process, or we can just use it to remind ourselves of who we are at the end of any meeting or at the beginning of any meeting to remind ourselves of the relationship that we're in together in Christ. As Abraham left his home and the security of all he had known, so we lay down what is past and look to the future. As Elijah left his life in the company of others to seek God in the wilderness, so we commit ourselves to seek God in the wilderness of our own silence. As Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus and begged for mercy, so we cast ourselves on God's mercy for our own healing and transformation. As the Israelites traveled together in community, as the disciples gathered around the presence of Christ, so we commit ourselves to God and to each other for the journey of transformation and discerning God's will together in community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, thanks be to God. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts to choose from, so we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. In July, the Transforming Center will launch their 15th Transforming Community. If God has stirred up something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin a transforming leadership journey of your own. I joined Transforming Community number six way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. The Transforming Community Experience is designed to better integrate your faith and your leadership. The two-year experience of spiritual formation is designed for pastors, leaders, and influencers. It is grounded in scripture, animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation in community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please leave a comment wherever you listen to the podcast and visit transformingcenter.org to learn more about how to apply for the next Transforming Community.